Good morning, everyone. It is now my pleasure to introduce to you our guest speaker, Don Harder. He is here with his wife, Shirley, today. Don Harder has been serving for many, many years as the superintendent of our Alberta Parkland district. Actually, um, I'm, I'm part of this church now for over 14 years. I've been living in Canada for 14 years and don't remember anyone else being superintendent of our Alberta Parkland district. He has been here very often, um, preaching, filling pulpit ministry, um, pastor installation services, and also one time he spent here a weekend with us and taught us on the book of Proverbs. Now, when I heard this spring that uh, Don was in his final year as superintendent, I thought we need to make sure that we have him speak before he leaves his office. Of course, Don, you are always welcome to come to Wainwright after that time, but maybe you have other things to do than to travel to Wainwright. So I'm very glad that you are here with us today, and welcome, Don, and welcome, Shirley, to our church here in Wainwright. Well, it's good to be here, and thank you, Michael. It will always be an honor to minister God's word, uh, but uh, it'll be nice to be able to come and just do that and not have to deal with any of the other things that come with being a district superintendent. So, yeah, so uh, keep me in mind if you ever need a guest speaker. We're always going to be open to doing ministry when we're done at the end of December. Also, prayerfully... Uh, Uh, keep the district search committee in mind as they're looking for a replacement as well. I kind of sprung this on them a year early. I was supposed to have another year and a half to go. But uh, my wife and I both had COVID in December, so we were shut down and isolated for 40 days. And God does something when you have 40 days of solitude and silence. And it just seemed to me at that point that God was saying, you know what, it's going to be the next superintendent that needs the upsurge when COVID is over. I won't need it. I've already been around for 14 years, so, but maybe the next person would like that upswing, that momentum building and gathering. So it just seemed like everything was right, uh, the leadership in the district where things were at, uh, that uh, it was time to do a handoff to somebody else. We don't know who yet, but uh, prayerfully keep that in mind. I understand this is your first Sunday all gathering together. We were here in November, and uh, you were running uh, two services or kind of shut down style and... Uh, now you're all together again, and uh, so that's great. That's a bit of a celebration, isn't it? To not have to wonder, well, who's still in the church? Who was in the last service that I missed? Uh, and now you can all be one church family gathered together in your building. So uh, COVID has made some changes, and uh, some things will never quite be the same. Some things shouldn't be the same. We've all grown through this and made some changes and had some new experiences, whether forced upon us or by a willful decision. And uh, how many of you have gone into a store and just as you're walking, 
into the store, still reach for your pocket for a mask. Okay, now you know the change that's been made. That's been made. It's amazing how some of us, uh, and I consider myself in that camp, who balk tremendously about wearing masks, still almost instinctively reach uh, for my pocket to find a mask when I walk into a store. So yes, uh, you can teach an old dog new tricks. I was uh, thinking of a psalm to uh, speak it from this morning, and bearing in mind that it is a time of regathering for you. Um, and the psalm that came to mind is Psalm 84, one of my favorite psalms uh, that the psalmist has. And it's about God's people coming into the worship place to Zion. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. I think some of us uh, had that experience when we couldn't meet at all. We really missed what it was like to not gather on a weekly basis in our churches. And uh, I think all of our churches have now reopened. I think this Sunday is the, the last uh, hesitant one that uh, is opening for the first time again. And uh, so, but our congregations have missed being together. And they have missed the corporate worship experience. There are some, of course, who, who aren't missing it, saying, you know what? I've learned I can get along without church. And uh, actually, uh, I'm comfortable with that. And there are some that will use it as an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm done with church. One of the trends that we're seeing, uh, George Barnes predicted one-third of people who uh, were faithful church attenders will not be back. Now, I think that's American Stats. I don't know whether it'll be reflective all across the uh, Western scene here in Canada. But uh, that's a little disturbing if we're going to lose one-third of our people. But I have told our pastors, your biggest job will be regathering your people. Now that COVID is kind of in the rearview mirror for the most part. That's going to be the big job. But uh, here the psalmist talks about the joy of being together, the longing of wanting to gather with God's people. Uh, This starts to feel like home after a while, doesn't it? And we want to come back to what's home. I remember uh, moving from Saskatchewan to Manitoba uh, many years ago, and our daughter was three years old, and... uh, here we were in the new church setting, and uh, I immediately got immersed in my work. It was a much larger church, had a lot more problems to deal with right at the onset. And so I didn't notice too much that when I went out the door to work, my wife would be at the table with our three-year-old daughter, and they'd be crying because they missed the old church. And one day, our three-year-old daughter said to Shirley, 
can't we just get that big truck back here and we can all go home? (laughs) She didn't realize this was home now. And we'd have to adjust to a new normal. Well, this psalm is a New Year's psalm in Jewish liturgy. And New Year's to a Jew is in September. But in some ways, it's whenever you have a new experience in the worship cycle of God's people. So I think it's fitting for us as we start a new cycle in a way, a new life as God's people. It's a fitting psalm. Up till now, people have said we're languishing. That's been the term that's been used in church life and in corporate life. We're all languishing. But now we have the opportunity to start fresh again. And so it's a new year in many ways. It's also a pilgrim psalm. It's a psalm that the Jewish people sang as they were heading to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. They were heading for their spiritual home. Now, it doesn't matter where a Jew lives. Even today, where is home to a Jew? Jerusalem, right? That's why every Passover, it doesn't matter where they're celebrating it, they say next year in Jerusalem. Because that's home. They want to go home. And uh, that's as much home as uh, Newfoundland is to a Newfoundlander, the rock. I want to be at the rock. Got to go back to the rock, right? That's what a a Newfoundlander, if they're really a true-born Newfoundlander, will always tell you. Got to get back to the rock. Well, someone has said a vagrant has no home. A refugee is fleeing his home. But a pilgrim is going home, and we're going home in many ways when we come to the place of worship. And the sons of Korah who penned this psalm saw the temple as home, just as we see a church as our spiritual home. Regardless of wherever they resided, it was in the the highway to the heart was always to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, there are people today that are, are not, they're done with church. The highway to the heart, to Jerusalem, to the church is no longer there. And uh, there's a new category. I think it first came out about 1950, uh, pardon me, 2015. Uh, Leadership Magazine had an article penned, Meet the Duns. The Duns are people who were highly committed to Christ, highly committed to their church, but then had poured themselves into it for a long, long time and then just finally got tired and said, you know what, I'm done. It's a takeoff, of course, on the other category in uh, surveys. Uh, If you're asked your religion, there's always the the checkmark, none. Some check none. But there's a new category, done. (laughs) They no longer want to be there. They've had that experience. But generally it's because they've been overworked, burnt out, and they're just tired. But the highway to the heart should still be there. And what creates that highway? I realized when I was in Manitoba, 
that uh, you can accomplish a lot more with a pull than a push. Uh, I had the experience on a January day when we had had a snowstorm and the wind had blown in and our church had a kind of two entryways into the parking lot and the first one I had noticed no one had used. They had used the second one which was a little further down and I didn't understand that why they would come into that one but I thought somebody's got to make the trail. Well, I had a great big Oldsmobile, you know, the Olds 98s, the big beasts that, you know, nice and heavy. And I thought, this big Oldsmobile can easily plow a trail through there. And so I just took and went down that entryway and I booted it. And guess what? I made it halfway through a snowdrift and I was hung up. Just royally hung up. And uh, there were about five men that were standing at the entryway looking out. And they realized, oh boy, this young pastor, he's been foolish again. And uh, I noticed them. And soon they have their parkas on. They're coming out. And they're going to try pushing. Well, they pushed from the back to push me forward. It didn't budge. They pushed from the front to get me back. It didn't budge. Finally, one of the guys who was about uh, 75 years old uh, said, do you have a tow rope? I said, I have a tow rope, but you can't get a car close enough to hook onto here. It was quite a large drift. No, he says, we'll pull. And I thought... You're crazy. If you can't push me out, you're not going to pull me out. Well, he asked, get me the tow rope. And he hooked it onto the front of my car. And five men all heave-hoed. And five guys pulled this big Oldsmobile through the snowdrift. And I thought, I've never seen this. And he said, well, don't you know, you can always do more with a pull than a push. I didn't know that. You know, there's a tremendous lesson spiritually in that. We always get more, more done with a pull than a push spiritually as well. And what's the pull for the pilgrim here? Well, he says, the bird has found a house, a swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. The first pull that I find here is the fact that God's house is a safe place. God's house is a nest for us and a place for our young. Now, it's a little... That's poetry, so don't take it too literally, but it does actually have a reason for it being used. Because apparently the ancient eastern temples, a bird was not allowed to be disturbed if it nestled in kind of the soffits or the eaves of a temple. And so to, to rest at the temple for a bird to build its nest there, 
was for a bird to find its ultimate place of shelter and security. Now, I have some magpies and crows in my neighborhood, and they think that because a clergy resides there, it must be a temple. And every once in a while, I have to let them know that it's not a temple. It's not going to be a safe place if you hang around my house. But an actual temple is a safe place. It was meant to be a safe place. And the temple was something the psalmist longed for because it was the place of safety and shelter and therefore had become an attraction. Now, we've heard a lot this last week, haven't we? And the last couple of weeks about the church not always having been a safe place, the residential school issues... But keep in mind that that's a real aberration. The church overall has been a wonderful, safe place to be. It's been the place where many people have fled to and found safe harbor. And that's what God's people are meant to be. The world has often prejudged the church as a place of judgment or condemnation. And the odd time we've earned that label... But most of the time, the church has been a loving home for people. People have longed to be there. People who made it their home have missed its fellowship when they can't be there. And you have a lot of pull if your church is a loving place. I recall a pastor friend of mine who served in one church for over 20 years And he built this church into quite a dynamic ministry place. And uh, he had uh, multiple ethnic congregations as well within his church that had uh, sprung up during the course of his ministry. And one day he was speaking to a group of pastors. And they asked him, what has been the secret of your church's phenomenal growth. Now, this church had been a place where it didn't have a very good history for a number of years, but suddenly it had just changed course under his leadership. And he said, I tell my congregation, you will never compete with the world in music. The world will always have better music. And you will never compete with the government with social programs. They'll always be able to fund fund better programs. But the one place you compete is with love. And I tell my church all the time, love is the specialty of the house here. I heard him speak at that church when he was invited back for an anniversary And he reminded them of that again. He said, never forget, love is the specialty of the house. It's what's on the menu when you come to this church. And, you know, you get a lot of pull, a lot of attraction when you're a loving place. The second thing that the psalmist notes here, 
He says, how blessed is the man, now note the word is singular, individual, is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they, plural, make it a spring. They make it a spring. The early rain covers it with blessings. The Hebrew actually means puddles. They make it a place of puddles. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before Zion. The common complaint of people who are duns was that the, check, that the church was a draining place and had become a disillusioning experience for them. They'd been highly motivated, committed, but maybe because of years of struggle or of giving of themselves or conflict, it had worn them down and they felt they were alone. That's the key. They felt they were alone. The psalmist here says the key is they. Collective, together. The pull is a support of people around you. He says when we go through the valley of Baca, the word Baca means weeping. An arid place. He said it's collective they that make it a place of puddles. Refreshment. You know, you can go through an awful lot when you're not going through it alone. Can't you? You can go through an awful lot. It's the they experience. I never realized how much I leaned on the support of a church family until I became a superintendent 14 years ago. Because as a superintendent, I basically do my calling alone. I visit churches generally alone. I'm in my office alone. I meet with my board about three or four times a year. But the rest of the time, I do my job alone. I have a church home, but I seldom ever get to be there. So even there, when I come, I feel like I'm a visitor. Uh, We switched churches just as I began my role, and each time I came, there were new faces, and I felt like I was the stranger that should introduce myself. And I never realized what an oasis it is to have the company of God's people. To go through life together. And it's often the support of God's people that has carried a very weary sojourner through their own valley of weeping. They go from strength to strength so that every one of them appears before God. I had a dear pastor friend who passed away in December kind of a mentor and encourager to me throughout my ministry. And he called me just before he passed away, and I didn't realize that I soon wouldn't ever see him or hear his voice again. But he would often 
say, I pray regularly to God. God, see me safely home. I don't know whether you senior saints pray that. I always thought it was strange that he would pray that because he seemed like somebody who would never, ever stray. Why wouldn't he come safely home? But he prayed regularly, Lord, see me safely home. But we come, we find our way home so much better together than when we're traveling alone. The pull in the pilgrim is that it's a safe place. It's a supportive people. But then the psalmist actually talks about another reason. He says, Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God. Then dwell in the tents of wickedness, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold. How blessed is the man who trusts in you. The psalmist here is spelling out two alternatives. He's saying, I'd sooner be just inside the house of the Lord, even just on the doorstep, than be in the tents of wickedness. And he says, you've got two alternatives, ultimately. You see, your soul will always find a home. It will always find a home, won't it? You're either going to find a home in the house of God, or you're going to find a home in the tents of wickedness. And the psalmist says, I've made my choice. Even if I could only be an usher at the door. That's where I'd prefer to be. Because it made sense to him because he says, God, you are a sun and a shield. Now think about those words. A sun is everything you need to have life. A shield is everything you need to protect you. And the psalmist says, that's what you are to me. You give me everything that can give me life, and you withhold all and stop everything that could destroy me. You're a sun and a shield. You give grace and glory and every good thing. And so to him, it was simply a sensible choice. Sometimes we don't want to make decisions just on sense, right? Common sense. But common sense, even though it's not very common, makes sense. (laughs) It makes sense to be in the house of God. Uh, Speaking with a denominational leader in another denomination, and he told me he had done his doctoral dissertation in the psychological benefits of the Christian faith. I thought, hmm. I've always been interested in biblical psychology, never studied it, but I've studied my Bible, and I've always said Jesus is the best psychology you could ever find. So I asked him, well, what were the benefits that you brought to your thesis? And he started to list them. He said, you get a brand new start. 
He said, virtually everyone in life somewhere wishes for a brand new beginning. We all make mistakes. We all have regrets. And we wish somewhere we could set back the clock. And he said, the only way we can do that is to come to Jesus Christ. Where all the past is wiped away. Behold, all things have become new. Right, Paul says? You've become a new creation. Have you ever had that wonderful sense when you came to Christ that suddenly you were whitewashed again? (laughs) Everything was clean again. The history was past. You have a brand new beginning. He said, you get, secondly, an alternative community. He said, we live in a world where many families are broken. Those that aren't broken often are dysfunctional. And if they're not that, many of us are distant from our families, either because of family issues or because of jobs making us mobile. Most very few of us actually live in the place we were born. How many of you live in the place that you were born? Not many of you, a handful in a whole congregation. You see, you're distant. You're living in different places. You can't be with your brothers and and family. My mother passed away in, in June in Manitoba. COVID restrictions only allowed 10 at her graveside funeral. She had six boys. We always talked about one day where all six of us are going to carry our mother to her grave. There was only one in Manitoba. The five of us couldn't even come home. That felt very distant. Very distant. But that's the way life is. And the only way we can actually somehow survive in life because we need people close to us is to have an alternative family. Wherever we've gone in ministry, our kids have had uncles and aunties, they've had grandmas and grandpas because it was the church family. They were always our alternative family. And I don't know where we'd be without God's people for our own family. We always have one. What a wonderful blessing if you can be that to other people that don't have family nearby. You get an alternative community, an alternative family. Thirdly, you you right away are invested in a worthwhile, eternal endeavor. Think about it. The moment you become a Christian... And you join God's people. It doesn't matter what you're doing, how little or how large, you become a kingdom builder. Isn't that amazing? Every one of you has become a kingdom builder in some way. Whether you're teaching Sunday school, whether you're giving your tithes and offerings, whether you're ushering, in some way, you have become a part of an eternal kingdom enterprise. Your life is worthwhile. 
Your work is not in vain, as Paul says. And then finally, you have an eternal hope. When it's all over, every one of us is one day going to come very close to looking inside the six-foot hole. And we're going to say, what's on the other side? What's on the other side? Well, when you become a Christian, you know. Paul says, or Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who dies will live again. He who comes to me and lives actually never dies. You're going to have eternal hope. That's all the things we get from being a part of God's family. So for the psalmist, he says, it just is a sensible choice to be in God's people. Sometimes that happens very dramatically for people. Sometimes it's a very rational decision, actually just a very sensible decision. C.S. Lewis said that he was, came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. <laughs> It was simply a mental realization this made sense. Sometimes it is that way. For others, it's like Saul on the Damascus Road, a flash of lightning in before you. And you realize that God just gripped your heart and wrestled you to the ground. Whatever way it is, you join God's family. And you're going home together. Going home together. I remember in one of our churches that we served, there was a gentleman. He was a Newfoundlander. And he had struggled. He had come out west here to uh, work in the oil patch. It had kind of a tough go. He didn't have actual training, so more of a labor kind of job, menial job. He had gotten married, had four or five kids. So in the midst of all that, struggled to get ahead. But he finally cobbled together enough money that he managed to buy himself a small acreage with a house on it. The house needed all kinds of renovation. He got busy doing that after his work hours. Got the house somewhat set up. Finally moved his family in. And we had a housewarming and thought, oh, it's so good. They're finally settled and things are going well for them. And shortly thereafter, he walked into my study one morning and he said, sold the house. I said, oh, I didn't know you were selling. Yep, sold the house, bought myself a used suburban What? Yeah, got to go home to the rock. Visit the mom and the dad. My siblings. See, we'd cashed everything in that he'd worked so hard for. And he bought himself this old used suburban. Piled everything in. All his kids, 
the dog, cats, and off they went to Newfoundland from Alberta. And I'm thinking, you are crazy. I thought he was there to stay. Six months later, he walks into my study again. I'm back. I said, you're back. I thought you were going to stay there. Oh, no, no. Where are you going to live? Well, we found a place last time. We'll find one again. I said, but you're starting all over. Oh, yeah, but we saw mom and dad. I said, you went all the way there just to see mom and dad, cashed everything, and now you're going to start all over again. Oh, yeah, but now we can. I've been back to the rock. It didn't make sense, and yet in some ways, if you're a Newfoundlander, it made perfect sense. When you go back to the rock, you get the energy to start all over again. And isn't that the way it works spiritually? Who's our rock? It's Jesus Christ. And we come back to the rock every week. And we have energy to start all over again for the week ahead. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the blessing that they've been to us personally. The joy it's always been to be able to minister here. Pray you would continue to bless them and grow them as a family of Jesus Christ. Continue to bless the ministry of Pastor Marvin and Colleen here as well. And we pray that we would always be mindful of the fact that we need to come collectively back to the rock, Jesus Christ. Amen.